loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Mike Bernhard. When Mike's wife died in 1991, he turned to writing poetry as a tool of healing. He later solicited the poetry of other people whose loved ones had died, receiving hundreds of submissions from around the world. The result was Voices of the Grieving Heart, first published in 1994. The new 30th anniversary expanded edition contains over 160 selected poems, essays, and images by 83 contributors who share their journeys through loss, grief, and transformation. Mike lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with his second wife and their two cats, and his website is MikeBernhard.net. Welcome, Mike. Thanks. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. I've been looking forward to it in a few different ways. One is just, um, you know, immersing myself in poetry all week. That was a pleasure. Um, And second, I don't often talk, uh, I don't often have guests who lost a spouse earlier than I did. Uh, (laughs) You know, since my wife died in 1995, uh, over 25 years ago, um, generally people are fresher, which might mean 10 years, but still. (laughs) But you, in fact, your first wife died uh, in 1991. So I've been looking forward to... Uh, the part of this conversation that's about grief over a lifetime. I'm actually uh-huh. putting together a clubhouse event about grief over a lifetime. So uh, it's right on time. Um, anyway, maybe you can start just by sharing with us the loss of your, f- your first wife, Susan, and how it led you to poetry, how that connection happened. Um, sure. Uh, so my first wife, I married her in 1983. Um, and uh, so we were married for about seven and a half years. She had a congenital heart problem that was fairly serious, but under control. And um, the very short story is that, uh, <laughs> that it no longer was under control. And, uh, and so she died from essentially cardiac arrest. Um, but you weren't not, you weren't expecting that. Uh, both no. of you thought it was uh, manageable, right? And it we we had no idea. We had we knew that the reality was that she might not live as long as I might, um, but we had no idea that that uh, the end was coming when it did. So it was it and was. And how uh, old were you quick. then? How old? I was thirty four, and she uh-huh. was thirty. So young, which has a particular impact too, as I well know, in the sense that it hasn't happened to many people. People may have lost a parent, a friend, you know, but rarely a spouse at that age. Right. That's true. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that, you know, it's, um, it's, it's very easy to uh, sort of grade your grief. 
impossible, I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, is, is mine is mine worse than someone else's or is mine as bad as someone else's? You know, oh, my God, their son committed suicide. You know, that must be much worse than mine. But the reality is that um, when you're in the middle of it, it's it's heartbreaking and, and you know, it's horrible. And, and uh, I don't think it's appropriate for us to judge our our losses or our experience based on, you know, it could be better or it could be worse. That's so relevant right now. I've noticed this last year plus uh, living in COVID. Um, a lot of my clients, for instance, have, have compared their griefs uh, and it just dilutes them having a good lament. Uh, you know, yeah. it's almost like I shouldn't complain somebody else had this or that, but we really can't compare, can we? We really can't. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, grief, it's, you know, I think in some ways it might be the ultimate human experience. Um, although maybe not solely human. I mean, there are birds that grieve for a lifetime as well. So, um, and, uh, I'm thinking of the whale who carried, her dead baby for uh, I think it was half a month yeah. with the support of her pod until she was ready to let go. Yeah. Stories like that. Yeah. And I mean, and that's really interesting because um, I mean, the support of our pod. So we, that's a, a new buzzword with COVID, but you know, the support <laughs> of our community is, is so important when we're grieving and um you know, and the, the pandemic really interrupted that. And in that regard, when your wife died and you were 34, did you have people in your life who could show up for you, who, you know, um, obviously they're kind of buzz statements that people say to us in grief that are not helpful. I'm sure you had some of that, but I, you, I did, did. did you also have some people who could just be there for whatever you were going through or did you feel isolated? Well, I, I had a few people, but I didn't want to lean on them too heavily. And so what I did because there were only a few and, um, you know, I, I, I was never involved with a church, but I knew people who were, and they were all, you know, people who are, who tend to be uh, worshiping at the same church or whatever tend to come together. And some of those people came together for me, but it wasn't what I needed. I, I didn't want people to just come and say, I'm sorry. I needed people whom I could just really just sit with and even cry with if I needed to. And yes. so I ended up going to a grief support group. Um, it was a drop-in group. Um, I don't know if it still exists anymore, but it doesn't really matter. There's a lot of them. Um, and the grief support group was great because there, uh, nobody was expecting me to, uh, you know, to be different than I was. I could. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the ticket, to be, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what we were all there for. And there were times when I really didn't want to speak, but I still got so much out of hearing other people's stories and experiences and hearing them talk about how it was for them. And that's really what this book is. It, it's it's 83 people sharing their experience of grief. Um, and so in a way, it's like a, I, I 
jokingly say it's like a um, like a grief support group in a box mm. because absolutely you know you can you can sit you may and especially during covid maybe you know we're starting to come out of that of course but um when we're feeling isolated pandemic or not um to have this book and just be able to open it and find a poem that speaks to you at that moment wherever you are um it's really wonderful. It's like being able to sit with someone uh, who just gets where you are because you know that they've been in the same place. Hmm. It reminds me of a teacher I had, a wonderful teacher, Richard Olney, and he he used to uh, he used to say, "The map is not the territory, but poetry is as close as you can come." Huh. Um, <laughs> That that if a, a really well crafted poem is an experience, yes. um, that that puts you right right in that territory that you're feeling if it's the right poem at the right time. Right, and it's interesting that you say well crafted because um, a number of the poems in this book I, I wouldn't call well crafted. What I mean so by much that truth. I, yeah, I yeah. should define that um, well captured. Yeah. That there's some experience that's well captured, not necessarily. I'm not sure if I gravitate that much to well crafted poetry in the in the uh, English student sense, but well captured. Does that yeah. speak to it better? I, I think so. Yes. Well, well captured, and that's really, you know, in with the hundreds of poems that I received. Uh, the first time and then again the second time around on this um, earlier this year, um, what I was looking for were not necessarily poems that were um, a beautiful use of language. Some of them may have been, but what I was looking for was what, it, it was a beautiful truths and mm. beautiful, not necessarily pleasant, um, but beautifully, just powerfully expressed, honestly and authentically expressed. Um, and it, that was much more important to me than, um, than was it clever? Was it a clever use of language? Right, right. Absolutely. Because you can kind of feel that. I mean, someone, let's say like, I don't know, just because everyone's heard of her, Mary Oliver, she can do both, mm -hmm. right? Right. <laughs> it's a beautiful use of language that takes you to an emotional experience, I guess, at least for me. Um, but poems that only have the beautiful use of language don't necessarily touch the heart. Right. And that was why I initially set out um, back in the 90s to find poems that really spoke to me because there were anthologies of grief poetry out there, but they tended to be from um, very well-known um, authors, often early 20th century or 19th century. Um, and the, so they were, they were well-formed. Um, they were, they may have had a meter to them, which is fine. There's, a, there's some poems in this book that have meter, um, but, um, they didn't speak directly enough. And what I was looking for was poems that made me feel not just poems that would, um, 
that I, I didn't want poems that would, uh, that after I was done reading them would say, wow, they expressed that really well. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted a poem that just punched me in the heart. Um, right. Or, you know, if, if it were if it were about a punch in the heart sort of experience, and not all of the poems in this book are. Um, some of them are about letting go. And of course, those are not going to be punch in the heart. They're going to be uh, much more maybe poignant or uh, full of acceptance and, and, you know, appreciation of the person who died and of the life the person has now. You know, there was a poem of your, your own uh, in the book that captured that, I thought, so well. Um, uh, time passes. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, really, I really enjoyed that because I also have remarried, and I thought you captured um, that well. Let me just share it a bit. Bright red dragonfly hovers by my face, slips off and returns again and again. Cat watches with vague interest from his shaded lair under the patio table. Yvonne tends the flowers, picks his stories. You had never been, though I am here because of you. Your death connected me forever to what lies beyond this world. I felt that light inside me, always rudderless, beguiled. I longed to join it, but time passes. Yvonne is smiling at me. We talk of dreams and having children. This garden is exploding with life, and I am no longer in any hurry to leave. I thought that since I also have now been remarried for uh, Sunday's our anniversary, our 23rd anniversary. Oh, uh, it is interesting, that juxtaposition, isn't it? Thank you. Of um, I remember I had a long series of dreams uh, where my first wife would come back and um, it would be great to see her. And then I would go, oh, S-H-I-T. <laughs> no. Right. What now? So like putting those two things together, I think we might have in common. <laughs> yeah. There was actually a wonderful movie called, uh, there's a, called Truly Madly Deeply. Um, it had Alan Rickman in oh, it. Oh, that's my favorite movie, I believe, yeah. of all time. Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> just about someone who's missing her husband so intensely, but then when he actually comes back as a ghost, he just she realizes that she's she's moved on to some degree and he doesn't fit anymore. Um, and then you kind of realize that that was why he came back, so that she could appreciate that, so that mm. she could let go. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I had some dreams too, one of which I wrote in a poem. Um, and that, that that one meant so much to me at the time because I needed to know that she was okay. Um, and I can read that one if you like. And then. Absolutely. That would be great. I'm just looking for it here in my book. <laughs> it's called Resurrection. How could you be here? I don't know, you answered, but we smiled and embraced, love washing through us as I closed my eyes to listen, and you spoke to me of dying. I remember it was 11 o'clock. They were wheeling me out of the room. 
Then I was trying to get back, running through the corridors, but I couldn't find the room. I didn't realize. You recalled it with a sense of wonder, no pain, no fear, a magical adventure. And as you spoke, an all-encompassing quiet joy, your heart smiling, my heart opening. But I awoke too soon, feeling you in my arms as you evaporated. I laughed, then cried, your words echoing in my ears so loudly I still hear them. And I still hear them, even now, 30 years later. Um, I am with you 100% on that. Um, in, in many different ways than I did first. Um, like often as a helpful, uh, helpful other at work, to be honest. And I'm not sure what to do. What do you think? <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> and, there, and usually something clarifies, and I take that as an answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was interesting because uh, um, sometime later, I was already dating Yvonne at that point. Um, and she had come to me in multiple dreams. And um, I was actually camping with Yvonne and I had a dream uh, where Susan came to me again and she was just really tired. She looked worn out. And I said to her, it's okay, you don't need to watch me so closely anymore. <laughs> and that was the end of the dream and I never had another one with her. That's so interesting. I've never, uh, we've both been on a show called Grief Dreams, uh, a podcast. I noticed uh -huh. when I went on your website. And um, this series of dreams when I met my wife, I'd had dreams before that, but there was no conflict in those, you know, <laughs> it was just nice to see her and sometimes it was sad and all of that. But um, there was a long series of those dreams for me. And then the la very last one, uh, I actually said, um, we, can't, uh, we can't do this anymore. <laughs> Um, you know, um, I'm, we'll always have a relationship, but not this one. Uh -huh. And I never had another one like that. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, it's like we were ready to let go at that point to let go, let go of the need to be with the person. It's not, not letting go of the relationship, but yeah, letting go of the, right, the need. Right. Right. I think, I think of it, um, we're about to take a break, and I want your thoughts on this when we come back. Um, the way I used to describe it to people, which is not exact, but it's kind of like this, I felt like the relationship had to become non-physical, I guess some people would say spiritual, or um, just a different sort of connection altogether. It had to transform into something different. So when we get back from the break, I want to hear whether you resonate with that at all. Okay. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, buy my novel, um, and to find 
Mike Bernhard, go to mikebernhardt.net. And the last name is spelled B-E-R-N-H-A-R-D-T.net. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Mike Bernhard about the poetry compilation he's just re-released, Voices of the Grieving Heart. And before the break, Mike, I was saying that I've, I've felt with my, my own loss and um, going forward from that loss that in some way I had to redefine. It's not like when you break up with someone. Uh, I had, I felt no need to sever the tie, uh, but I did feel like I had to change the terms uh, mm-hmm. in some way. Does that resonate with you? Um, no, that wasn't my experience, honestly. Um, I wish I could say yes, and we could have a laugh about that, but... Uh, but, um, no, I want the truth, what, what you experienced, because we all do it differently, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And um, for me, the experience was that um, when I was 
looking at before I met Yvonne, um, I, I've told this story before, and I think I mentioned it in the book too, um, that one time I was at the grief support group and a woman came in who hadn't been there in a couple of years, but she felt like she needed to check in. Her first husband had died um, and she was now married to someone else. And she was talking about how she could still cry with her second husband over losing her first husband mm -hmm. um, and how much that meant to her. And I said to her, um, I hope someday I can have a relationship like that. And she said, you will, because you won't settle for less. Absolutely. And, and that was my experience. Um, there was a point when Yvonne and I were together and something came up for me and I was crying over Susan in Yvonne's arms. And um, it was just so wonderful to be able to have that. And that was, you know, that was kind of when I knew she's probably the right person for me. Um, and so there wasn't really a point where, um, where I felt like I've got to uh, redefine the terms. I think in some ways I just, I, I let go of it for a long time. I just, uh, I, I moved into a new life with Yvonne and we had a child. And um, so life had a way of sort of pushing Susan uh, well, not maybe pushing Susan in, in, in away, but maybe more into the background. Mm. Um, and what's been interesting in, I, I've thought about republishing this book many times over the years. Um, but last year during the pandemic is when it became clear. And actually Yvonne was the one who really pushed me and said, you have got to put that out. And um What's happened in the in the whole process of doing it is that I'm finding that grief isn't really so far away. Mm. Uh, it's always there. I don't experience it as pain, but it's there. Um, Absolutely. And um, you know, reading these poems, I tend to choke up, and I can't even tell you why. But it just they touch a place in me that still maybe will always be a little bit raw because of that. Uh, grief I experienced over Susan. You know, it occurs to me that part of this sense of redefinition that I'm talking about, because I very much resonate with your experience with your second wife. I had uh, many such experiences with the person I'm married to now that made it actually safe to go forward. So mm -hmm. that that very much connects with me. Um, but I think the the I. Since, since I had become a grief counselor in the long process of my wife being ill and dying, uh, she was always in mind, if that makes sense. There's no way to be a grief counselor and not be thinking about what caused you to do that. Right. <laughs> so, so maybe that automatically led me to wonder what is the relationship now, you know, because, uh, it was continuous. Hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't background for me. Um, I've never thought of it that way. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, the work you chose to do um, was sort of a direct result of what you experienced. So that would certainly, and maybe that's why it's so much more upfront for me now because this book, right now at least, is my work, 
And I'm absolutely and the experiences of these of the people who are in the book that, um, yeah, it, it brings all of that to the fore. I'm fortunate in that uh, Ivana is so supportive and has been helping me with this and everything else. So, you know, there's there's room in my life now for both of them. Um, but at that point, I know it was very hard in Yvonne. I mean, she was uh, she was just uh, incredibly patient. But I know that, you know, behind the scenes, she was questioning whether or not uh, she should be with me, given everything I was going through. But lucky for me, she stuck it out. <laughs> and and lucky for you, too, as I understand it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, another thing that may just be my experience and not uh, not yours is that um, I I believe that what I went through with grief very much defined. You know, you, you said that um, you won't settle for less. You, the the woman told you you won't settle for yet for less. Uh, I feel as if that experience of loss is integrally tied to the type of relationship I chose next. They're inseparable. I don't know which part mm-hmm. is, you know, the particular person that, you know, but I know that it's very much the way I went into that is very much affected by having lost my first wife. Do you feel that's true for you? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think I was much Clear, you know what, the one thing that um, losing Susan did is uh, it really clarified my priorities. Um, and interestingly, they had started clarifying even before she died. The two of us together had talked about making changes in our lives that were sort of more aligned with what resonated more deeply than just the sort of um, relatively shallow things that we were spending our time doing. Mm. Um, and so when she died, I mean, that, you know, that process continued. And so I think in, in uh, I knew that, uh, honestly, I didn't really think about it that much, but the truth is that, that the, those changes had to be incorporated in, in any new relationship. I, I needed someone who was going to be able to kind of go deeper with me than, than I may have been willing to find before that. And I think perhaps have a certain maturity because to tolerate um, the fact that someone has loved deeply and never left the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The person just died. Um, I think that takes a certain um, willingness to live in the in-between spaces. Um, you can never, that presence is there, even if you're not talking about it. And, you know, uh, for my wife, it's, it's there because of the work I do, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but I think it's there in the background with most second marriages that come after a loss like that. Yes. Uh, I hope so. (laughs) 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 It's certainly, certainly true. You know, it, it just something you said there just reminded me of a poem. Um, it's not mine. It's by a woman named Rose Drew. Um, and this, this actually comes from, you, you were talking about um, long-term grief um, or grief over a lifetime. And, and um, this, this poem is, is about that. 
um, there's a section in the book, as you know, called uh, that I called Time Passes. I kind of named it after my poem. But, but the point was, um, I went back to some of the original contributors 27, 28 years later and asked them what their experiences of grief were for them now. You know, how, how had it changed them, that sort of thing. And so there's 16 or 17 essays um, about that topic from these different people. Um, and this is a poem from someone who actually was not in the first edition, um, but I just connected with her so well on the topic of old grief. Um, mm. She lost her daughter to SIDS, an infant daughter. Um, and um, I just loved what she had to say and I loved her poem so much that I included her in this time passes section, even though she wasn't actually someone who I'd reconnected with. Um, so this poem is called Elephant. You're still in the room. The room's just larger. Years spent ignoring you or else dragging out your secret life the way a magician flourishes bouquets from milk jugs. Ta-da, now seen, then not. Enormous invisible reason for so much. And time moves on, events engulf a life. One undersized elephant gets pushed aside. Soon enough to trot you into view, remove the camouflage seems a pretty, a petty distracting trick, or at least too sad to mention. Most people prefer a laugh than to rehearse old, sor old sorrows. But you've remained, blended effortlessly in with houses and plans, constant reminder that life is too short for injustice and squandered dreams. You've always been here in a room that's grown, grown to dwarf you, my elephant, my mentor, my muse. It's me who has changed. Hmm. And I just really love that poem. Absolutely. It makes me think about, um, uh, how then people do or don't carry forward that relationship into current life. Um, you know, with children, for instance, what if you have children after the death of a child? Do you, do they know, you know, do you talk about it? Um, mm -hmm. uh, do you incorporate that person and relationship consciously and verbally into your present life. Um, that's a big choice, I, I feel. There's a, um, a movie called Return to Zero about a, a stillbirth. Um, it's based on a, the life of the person who made the movie. And, you know, they have children after that and celebrate the child's birthday who died and you know very much incorporated um mm -hmm. but i wonder do you, obviously my kids were already alive when joanne died and so um they of course had relationships with her and and shared the loss with me but how do you navigate i know you have a child um what does he know about you know, your first wife and that experience. 
He knows, he knows what he's asked to know. Um, I mean, he's 23 now, but um, he knew he's known for a long time that I was married before and that she died. And, and um, he once asked me if I had any pictures of her. And so I pulled out some old photos and, um, you know, I talked to her about what, talked to him about what she was like. And um, so, you know, I think, it's not that he has some sense of her, of course, but, mm-hmm. but, um, but he knows that, you know, and of course he knows about this book. And so, you know, he knows that that was an important part of my past. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, I, I've, I've certainly not tried to uh, shield him from that or anything. Mm-hmm. Um there's a woman in the book named Lorreen Jackson who has an essay in this time passes section. Her uh, daughter died from a congenital heart problem. I actually knew her through my first wife um, because um, one of the things that Susan did while she was alive was she started a support group for parents of children with congenital heart problems because mm. she was sort of the living example in a way because her, her mother had been told that she would only live to be maybe two. And then they said, well, into her teens. And then, you know, they kept saying that she wasn't going to make it and she did. And so, you know, she felt like her mission was to let people know it's, it's possible your, your child could grow up and, and live a fulfilling life and fall in love and be happy. And so, um, so this woman was in that group and her daughter um, did die at seven months old from her heart problem. Um, and so she, she has a poem in the book. And one of the things she said is she had um, two children, uh, one of whom was already born when her daughter Anna uh, died. Um, so he, he knew her a little bit. I think he was a couple of years older than her. Mm-hmm. And then she had another son afterward, who of course, never knew him, uh, knew, knew her. And um, but she's in, you know, she always incorporated uh, Anna into their lives. They, they both know that they had a sister um, and she, they would go out and, and do rituals sometimes, hanging uh, things on trees up on Mount Tamalpais. They were from Marin County, California. Um, and so they would have annual rituals to, to commemorate her life. Um, and so they they grew up feeling like she was she was their sister. Part of the part wonderful. of the family reminds the me family. of it, it reminds me of a woman named Lorraine Hedke who um, does a lot of work with uh, the continuation of relationships after someone dies that you still can cultivate. She actually wrote a book with her daughter about her mother, who her daughter never knew. Mm-hmm. Um, but about her daughter's relationship to her mother um, that they kind of cultivated by, by things like doing activities that related to her together and stuff. I, I, uh, that has some meaning to me. Let's take another break and then we'll come back and talk some more. And listeners, you can go to weatheringgrief.com during the break, good, the Good Grief host page, or if you want to find Mike Bernhard and his, his book, you can go to mikebernhard.net. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Mike Bernhardt about the poetry book he has just re released Voices of the Grieving Heart. Um, Mike, during the during the break, you were um, saying that another poem was coming to mind. Shall we start this this final third of our time together with a poem? Sure. So um, we we were talking about um, the woman whose daughter died at seven months old, um, and we had also discussed stillbirth and and uh, um, this is a poem from also an original contributor, but it's a much newer poem. Um, she, her child died uh, still, well, she was, the, her child was born uh, still, stillborn. Um, and um, so now, but that was in the 1960s. And she had four children after that, but they were all sons. And so what she said is that now that she's much older, 50 years, 50 years after her stillbirth, she is finding herself missing that daughter that she never got to be a mother to. Mm. Um, and so th- this poem, it's a little bit long, so maybe I won't read the whole thing, um, but it's called, If Only You Were Here. We could talk of the day I saw you walk down the aisle of the moment I set eyes upon your just-born baby. White gouache vernix from head to toe, of babysitting through the years, and sharing tears when things got hard, of seeing your children reach milestones like kindergarten, university, first loves, and first heartbreaks, of me growing old with you, doing all the mother-daughter things others do, even the occasional spat about nothing worth worrying about. 50 years do not dim your absence from my life. You're still my child whose face I never saw, whose hair I did not touch, whose little fingers I did not count before they whisked you away from me on that cold August day. As if seeing you meant I did not know you, my angel, my Angela, with whom I shared each breath of my life until it was time for you to slowly exit from a warm place into the cold, hard world, a world you were not meant to be part of. 
And so that's, I'll stop the poem there. That was kind of two, two separate parts of it, but mm. it just speaks volumes about, you know, I, I think stillbirth and miscarriage is kind of a big thing right now. It seems to be finally Absolutely. becoming accepted. Um, that, that it's, that it is an intense grief, you know, um, so absolutely. You, yes. I, I recently, recently interviewed a woman who had two ectopic pregnancies, a late stage miscarriage and two early stage miscarriages, hmm. um, and then went on to have a child. And one thing that stood out in talking with her, which didn't surprise me, but it was good to emphasize is that the you know, all those losses don't evaporate because she has a living child. Mm -hmm. that, that she had relationships with all those pregnancies, all of those babies that ended. And so regardless of going forward, um, they still come up sometimes. You know, there's, there, that's still a part of her experience in her life, which of course we know one... Um, one person can't replace another, right. <laughs> you know, our second wives do not replace our first wives. <laughs> They're entirely different relationships. So uh, it, it seems to me that is the same, same idea there. Yeah. I know what I've said is that I think Yvonne has filled the hole that she didn't replace Susan, but she, she has filled the place that Yvonne, that Susan took in my life. Um, but, you know, when you lose a child or, or a parent, if you are close to your parent, you know, I mean, you can't replace that person with another. Um, there's no child is going to fill the space left by another child. And, you know, I think a lot of times when people struggle, you know, I think when a child dies, it can be really hard on the entire family. And part of that is because, you know, the parents may be trying to fill the space that that one child, that the dead child left with another who's still there, who can't possibly be themselves and someone else at the same time. So there was a movie about that once I'm remembering. Uh, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> impossible to do that. Um, I, I, I relate to what you're saying it's not that I'm saying I, I lack a wife, I have a wife. It's just that that person that my first wife was is not in the world. <laughs> you know, can't be replaced by anyone, one of a kind, as we all are, aren't we? We all are. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was talking to a friend um, a couple of weeks ago whose husband died several years ago. Um, and what she likes to say is that she's not moving on, she's moving with. Mm, I like that. I tend to use the word forward, but it's the same idea, I feel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> moving on implies the C word, closure. Yeah. Which, which I've never experienced. <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't uh, seem to fit my experience, closure. No. I mean, certainly, you know, I've taken Susan with me. I mean, she's, she's here in this book, you know. I mean, 
it's she's in the dedication it's um you know she's she is she is here but she doesn't have the same she she has a different place in my life than she did then and then she did then for sure i i want to ask you a a question that's to the side of what we're talking about really which is there's the act of writing poetry i've written poetry in my life and it was kind of an outpouring of whatever was going on at the moment you know an expression for me personally and then there's reading poetry and i imagine this is just my imagination that those two things obviously you wrote poetry to heal and you solicited poems you you pulled in poems to heal and i wonder what different parts of you that those two things fulfilled it's an interesting question i mean i i wrote poetry because it was the only way to express myself uh to express the emotions that i was feeling um in an honest way and, and it was almost like i was compelled to write poetry i mean i i have said sometimes that i did it because it was the only thing i could do to survive was to to get just to get the intensity uh, of of what i was feeling um out where i could look at it and maybe understand myself better and maybe be able to accept what i was feeling a little bit better um so that's why i wrote I think I wanted to read people's poetry because um, I wanted to feel community with other people who had gone through the same kind of loss that I had experienced. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very different. And, and I think what, what I didn't realize when I first started looking was that as I started receiving people's poetry back in the 90s and again even uh, earlier this year is that when I read other people's poetry um, I think because of my own experience of loss I it's like a mirror it's like I I feel my own experience in their words Mm. and it's not that way with all poems, but one of the criteria for putting a poem in this book is that I needed to feel that when I was <laughs> reading it. Um, that's that's your your um, calling as the editor of the book. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and I received some poems that were lovely, but they just didn't um, sit right with me. Um, um, I, there was one poem I received that was really quite beautiful, but um, I didn't quite understand what she was saying. And then when, so, you know, as soon as you have to think, what do they mean by that? And that, <laughs> that can kind of take you away um, from the experience, which is very different from, let's say, poetry in school, um, where you get, you know, a poem by Yeats or something, and you're going to spend you know, three weeks analyzing that poem and trying to understand what he meant by this and that and the other. Um, This is not that. And um, so when I did ask her about it, it turned out that what she, what the one phrase, one word really meant to her was an entirely different thing than what it meant to me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, for her, that one word had so much anguish in it. I mean, the word was uh, no with a period after it. And for her, it meant it was it was all of the anguish that she was feeling over her husband's death all wrapped up into that one word. Um, but for me, I didn't read it that way. And so, um, so, you know, part of the point of writing poetry is not to impress anyone else. It's, um, it, it's, you write it for yourself and at least this kind of poetry. And if it's really true and honest, um, then hopefully other people will get it too. Mm. And, um, you know, I know, you know, she told me that other people loved her poems and I'm sure they did, but um, for me, for this particular book and what I wanted it to be, it wasn't the right poem, but it doesn't mean that her poem was any less true than the others, but I needed poems that spoke to me um, that were direct enough that I felt other people would understand them too. And Mm. so you could just feel it rather than have to think too much about it. Yeah, I often I often think about for me it was uh, what I had to have in um, really the first year after my wife died was music, but it was only mm. certain songs. <laughs> no, so I think that's similar because there are so many songs that that um, capture loss in some way. Um, you know, including breakup songs and all kinds of different things. But um, it was only a few that captured me every day, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that really. And, and it's interesting what you're saying about that being um, a way to feel community, even if people are not in the room, because I do think that's so important to feel a sense of community, um, regardless of whether you're in the room with people um, some people think it's essential to grief, that, that there's solitude that's necessary, but there, there's also community. Mike, I've really enjoyed our conversation. We're at the end of our time together. Thanks so much for being with me today. Well, thank you for having me. It was a great discussion. You're welcome. <laughs> Next week, I'll have Angela Himsel, author of A River Could Be a Tree, which chronicles her transformation from fundamentalist fundamentalist Christianity to Judaism with all the losses and gains along the way. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America.